As God's child, your story is a chapter in His story. The Bible is God's retelling of His story so that we can know Him, know ourselves, and live in a way that is consistent with His plot. Now, God's got a plot. He's got a plan. There's a story that's being played out throughout time, and it's, the conclusion is already written. The problem we have is that we, number one, we want to occupy center stage of the story, and we're not the main actor in the story. We're just, we just got a bit part. We're an extra in the story. That, that, that doesn't mean to demean any of us. God thinks we're very important. We're important components of His story. But He, He is center stage. God alone. That's our first problem. We want to take the place of God in the story. But also, number two, we want to be the novelist. We want to write our own stories. And we spend a lot of time trying to write our own stories and we get upset and anxious when the plot that we have written is not unfolding as we have planned it to be, as we want it to be. Few of us actually live functionally with God's story in view and we get stuck in our own little autobiographies. You know, our stories do not belong to us. If we're a child of God, our story belongs to God and we're part of His bigger story. So how can we better, this is the question that we want to address today, how can we live how can we better live functionally with God's story in view? And that's the series that we're looking at. Now, the first thing that we can do is to learn about this God who is always center stage in history. It's all about Him. And simply recognizing that and being reminded of that is a big step towards helping us let going, letting go of our own story and becoming part of His story. And there are several themes that run through God's story. And the theme we want to address today is this theme of worship. Worship is vitally important as we consider what is God's story. That brings us to the passage today. These people had a worship problem in Jeremiah's day. And God sent Jeremiah to tell them a few things about their worship. Hear now God's word from Jeremiah chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. It's the firstfruits of His harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. 
Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and sea, or send to Kedar and examine them with care. See if there has been such a thing. And here's the key verses. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have exchanged, have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. May God bless the reading and hearing of His Word and write its eternal truth upon our hearts today. Worship. Now, when one thinks of worship, we often think of what we're doing right here, right now. Now, 11 o'clock Sunday morning, attending church. But worship is much more than that. It is not limited to just one hour per week. What is worship? The word actually comes from the old English worthship, and it's just the act of ascribing ultimate worth to something that engages your entire being, your mind, your will, your emotions. Now let me illustrate this. Uh, uh, think of a woman who has a, a, a very nice diamond that she's inherited. And she wants to know what it's worth, so, so she takes it to the jeweler and he puts his little eyepiece in and he pulls the diamond out and he begins to look at this diamond and he examines it. He's taking the knowledge that he has of diamonds and, and he's learning about this diamond and using his skill and he's looking at it and he's seeing that, wow, this is a very rare and precious gem that she has here. And he's getting excited about it. Look at this thing. It's amazing. That's worship, what he's doing. We do the same thing. Everybody worships something. They examine things. They look about them at things. And they see things that seem to be of great worth and they get excited about it. And they use their mind to understand it. They use their will to examine it. And they get their emotions excited about it. And it becomes at the forefront of their lives. See, the world is not divided into people who worship and those who don't. Everybody worships something. Everybody's always ascribing ultimate value and worth to something. It may be God. It may be something completely different. But you're always ascribing ultimate worth to something. And the problem we have is it shifts. Sometimes we value other things and sometimes we ascribe worth to some things and then we will change our minds and, and we are inconstant as the, the seas sometimes. Ask yourself, what is most important, important to you? What is most valuable to you? What is most worthy of your time, attention, and resources? The answer to that question is what you actually worship. The problem that we have is that we tend to transfer our worship from God to other things. Because we're sinners, we are bent away from placing ultimate worth on God. It all goes back to the Garden of Eden. They worshiped God 
And then Satan came and tempted them and they decided to transfer what they thought was valuable in the beginning, their God, and they transferred that to saying, hmm, I can be like God. And that seemed good to them. And so they began to delight in their own autonomy and that's when they fell into sin. And we are the same way. We transferred our worship from God to things. There's a tendency in us to treat so many other things as more important than God, whether it be our careers, our financial status, our families, our own comfort, pleasure. These are things that we actually believe are most important in life sometimes, not God. We look to created things to bless us and to satisfy us rather than our Creator. And when you really look deep and boil it all down to the most basic thing, basic thing that matters, it comes out to be ourselves and what we want, what we desire. We want to be the novelist. We want to write the story. We want to call the shots. We want to be God. We don't want to give worth and, and ascribe value to God and what He wants. So that's our problem. And we're as guilty as these people to whom Jeremiah is preaching. These people were literally worshiping other gods, Baal and Dagon and other gods that are listed there in the Bible. Uh, now, we do not uh, worship statues and, and false gods in the same manner that they did, or do we? We don't bow down to an idol of wood or stone, but we certainly have idols of the heart, things that we put in the place of God. It may not be something that's wooden or stone, but it can be something that's green, like money. It can be the status that we have in the community or at our jobs. It can be our families, a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty, your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality, your virtue... You can even make an idol out of your success in Christian ministry. You can put that before God, as odd as that seems. An idol is anything that you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. I'll feel significant and secure. If I don't have that, I'm going to get really angry, really frustrated, and very discontent. And what we're doing there is we're looking to something besides God for blessing and satisfaction uh, in, instead of the Lord, who's the only place that we can get blessing and joy and satisfaction and all those things that we crave in our hearts. They worship carved idols. We worship our own counterfeit gods. Now, God doesn't like this, according to Jeremiah chapter 2. He's a jealous God, as He told Moses when He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. But look at what God says about it in verse 12. He's calling on the heavens. Be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. He's calling the, the heavens to be appalled and stunned and, and horrified and just blown away at, at what mankind has done to God. It's shocking, he says. And he gives us two reasons why this is shocking, why this is appalling. First, Worshiping other gods is a bad investment. And second, worshiping other gods is unsatisfying. And we'll look at those two things in just for the next few minutes. 
First of all, he says, worshiping other gods is a bad investment. Verse 11 says, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. At first glance, it doesn't look so, but what he's using there is financial language. Uh, the word glory comes from the word meaning weight or value. Now, we have paper money, you know, dollar bills and $10 bills and $100 bills. and They're all made out of the same paper. And if you uh, actually got a blank piece of that paper, it wouldn't be worth but a few pennies. So our money doesn't actually weigh anything. But in those days, the more valuable something was, the more gold or silver you put out for it. And so they would weigh the scales out. You know, if you had to pay uh, X amount of gold for a, a bushel of wheat, they would measure out just how much gold you need. And the weight of it would show how much it was. So that word weight, or the word glory, is the same word for, for weight. And so that idea of something being heavy means it's valuable, like gold. The heavier the gold, the more gold you got, the more valuable it is. Well, God's glory, that's what it's talking about. It's weight, it's value. So the accusation here is the people have exchanged something that was theirs and, of, and was of value. They've exchanged that for something that is worthless, something that has no gain whatsoever. And my wife was a principal at an elementary school, and uh, they had to make a rule that the kids could not trade. Because the kids were coming in, first, second, third graders, especially the little ones, and they would go, some of them were bringing in things, trinkets that they had bought at the dollar store. And they were uh, bringing necklaces and cheap little items and exchanging it with their friends for their friend's video game that their parents had paid $50 for. Now, the kids had no sense of the worth of the video game or the dollar store trinket. They just knew they wanted the other one and they thought it was a fair trade. The parents weren't too happy about it especially when they had spent $50 on the video game and the child was coming home with a, with a candy necklace from the dollar store. See, that's what God is saying that we're doing here. He's saying, look, you have exchanged something of ultimate worth, something much more valuable than just $50 video game, something that's priceless, and you have traded it for something that has absolutely no value whatsoever. I mean, when you put it like that, you can see how crazy it is. You would never trade something that's worth tens of thousands of dollars for something that is worthless, that has no value at all. That's just common sense. And that's what God's saying here. That's why it's so appalling. It's just common sense. When you worship something besides God, when you put ultimate worth upon something and you value that above God, it's foolishness because nothing surpasses the worth of God. He is ultimately and absolutely worthy in anything that we would compare to Him or value over Him is worthless. One of the words that the Bible uses for idols is literally the word worthless. Worthlessness. That's why uh, verse 11, some of your translations says, my people have changed their glory for worthless idols instead of that which does not profit. You can translate it either way because the word worthless is the word for idol. An idol, by definition, is worthlessness. 
So anything that we value above God is, is not a good investment. The value does not equal. In chapter 10 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah kind of makes uh, fun of the idols. He, he talks about how a tree is cut down uh, and, you know, the craftsman works it with an axe and decorates it with silver and gold. Uh, and their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They can't speak. They have to be carried. They can't walk. And he tells the people, don't be afraid of them. They can't do anything to you. They can't do anything for you either. They're foolish. They're both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols because his images are false and there's no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. The things we put before God are not God. We think these things can help us and make our lives good to give us security and peace and comfort, but they really can't. You think about that. You know, if a human relationship, we place that above God, we think that's the most important thing, well, that human relationship will not last because we, will, we all will pass away at some point. Money, you can't take it with you when you go, the old saying says. All these things that we think are so important, they cannot give us security, peace, and comfort ultimately, maybe for a short while, but they don't last. Isaiah criticizes the people of Israel. He says, because they had fallen into idolatry. And he said, when you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. Well, he's being facetious because they can't do anything for him. Uh, when you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you, the wind will carry them off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Jonah, when he was in the belly of the whale, said this as he prayed to God. He said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You know, anything that we put before God is not going to give you steadfast love. Not even the closest human relationship can give you the kind of steadfast love that God gives us. Because we forsake God repeatedly. Now, what human being will continually love you unconditionally even though you forsake them? time and time again. Pretty soon a human being is going to say, enough is enough. And they're going to say, no more. But God is not that way. We'll look at that more in a moment. But let's look at the second thing. Not only is it a bad investment, but secondly, worshiping other gods is unsatisfying. We see this in verse 13. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, a cistern, of course, is just a big, giant bowl that catches rainwater. Uh, comparing that to a fountain of living water. Now, common sense, again, will tell you that the fountain of living water, of water that's flowing, of, is coming up constantly, is cleaner, better drinking water than water that's caught in a cistern. And these cisterns, are broken cisterns. So you can't even get water from this cistern that he's talking about. So he's comparing worshiping other things besides God to a broken cistern. It can't hold any water. It can't satisfy you. It can't give you anything that you need. But God is a fountain of living water, ever flowing, always pure, continuously coming. 
When one leaves a living fountain and seeks a cistern, it is proof of great folly, one of the great Puritans said. For cisterns are dry except water comes elsewhere. But a fountain has its own spring. And further, where there is a vein perpetually flowing in a perennial stream of waters, the water is cleaner and safer. The waters which rain brings into cisterns are never as clean as those which flow from their own spring. And when the very receptacles of water are broken and cracked, what must they be but empty? So God charges the people with madness because He was forsaken. It was a fountain and a fountain of living waters. And further, because the people sought unprofitable things when they went after their idols. We all seek happiness and we seek it in so many places. Where are we seeking happiness, joy, security, comfort, peace today? Is it in God? Is it through Christ? Now what I want you to see is this, and it takes us to that quote on the front of the bulletin where John Calvin says uh, about these verses, we cannot possibly be free from guilt when we leave the only true God as in Him is found for us fullness of all blessings and from Him we may draw what may fully satisfy us. When therefore we despise the bounty of God which is sufficient to make us in every way happy, how great must be our ingratitude and wickedness. And here's the key point I want to make here at the end. Yet God remains ever like Himself. As then He has called Himself the fountain of living waters, we shall at this day find Him to be so. Look at verse 9. He says, after He's accused the people of what they've done and and brought it to light, and said, look, I brought them out of Egypt. I rescued them. I saved them. I provided for them. And they've forsaken me. And so, because of this, I strike them with a lightning bolt in the head. No, that's not what he said. He says, no, I contend with you. I still contend with you. Even though you've forsaken me, I'm still contending with you. And with your children's children, I will contend. I will never stop contending with you. I am going to fight with you and argue with you and continue to come after you no matter what you do. He is the fountain of living waters. And he's proven that point, that he's coming after us by actually coming after us. He came to earth. He took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say? Remember what he said to the the woman at the well? He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And even in that passage in 1 Corinthians 10 that we read, you know, Moses struck the rock and the water flowed. And you know, there was like a million people there. So don't think when Moses struck that rock, a little trickle of water came out of it. Enough water to feed that many people. He struck the rock and that rock came, the water came gushing forth like a river out of that rock. And Paul tells us in that passage that we read earlier, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. He says that rock was Christ that satisfied them and provided for them in the desert. And when Jesus was there uh, on, on one of the feasts, He said, He stood up and He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. You know, Here's where you get satisfied, not with the things of the world, but with Christ. 
He's God's contending with us, pursuing us so much that He would die in our place. Your bank account won't do that for you. No human relationship will do that for you. Your career, your job, your car, your status in the community, none of that will, will, will go to these links for you. But Christ has already done it. And He invites us. As He told the people in Isaiah's day, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And that's what Christ is offering us today, to come to Him free of charge. He's done all the work for us. He's pursued us. Give up and give in to Him. And He will receive you and He will take you into His family and you will know true joy and true security, true comfort and true peace. That's the only place it can be found. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You that You invite us to come and to partake of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even today. So Lord, help our unbelief break down the walls that keep us from loving You more than everything else. Lord, help us to see the value of who You are and what You've done for us. Uh, that's, that's our real problem. We think things of this world are more valuable than You. Convince us otherwise, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.